A few times during the course of creating this podcast series, Discipline, I've had cause to sit back and take in a wealth of new information that is confronting, challenging, yet so informative and cohesive that it can actually alter your approach to business and life. My interview with Cherie Rubenstein is one such occasion. Cherie has a passion that is pure and unfettered, supporting women and removing the barriers for women in business. For some, these barriers may seem intangible, unrealistic, even made up, and I can assure you that these barriers that females face in the entrepreneurial and business landscape are anything but fanciful. Cherie is not only staring them down herself, but in parallel, she is staring them down, in some cases smashing them down, for women around her in her inclusive workspace, One Roof. Cherie has started a movement that is not about segregation, but about empowerment and driving towards equality of the genders. If you are female, you should feel emboldened and inspired by the path that Cherie is treading. And if you're a male, you need to listen up, as whilst you might shrug off gender imbalance or think you're doing enough already, we must make it our obligation to do more and to do better, because every single person will benefit on all business fronts from closing the gender gap. Enjoy our in-depth discussion. Sherry Rubenstein, founder and CEO at One Roof, an expert on women in business. Thanks for joining me on Discipline. Pleasure, Tony. Great to be here. Now, I've got a bit to cover from studying law, working at a top-tier law firm, to being a regular speaker on the topic of women in business, entrepreneurship, leadership, startup, and co-working. You've been well-recognized for your work and expertise 2016 Victorian Young Achievers Leadership Award, 2017 Telstra Businesswoman Award finalist, 2018 Australian Financial Review 100 Women of Influence. I've had 26 guests on this show. They've all made me feel pretty insignificant. (laughs) Let's chalk up number 27, Cherie Rubenstein. Start at the top. When you were a young girl, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to run my own magazine. So I loved writing um, and, yeah, I I wanted to have a magazine and I wanted it to be a magazine that was all about empowering and elevating women. And you got to work at a magazine, but before that you went and did law. Correct. So how did those dots connect? They, I mean, it was very much... You know, I was a a high-achieving student, worked really hard, wanted to do well, probably just born that way in my personal constitution Um, and, uh, you know, went to a school and had parents who really encouraged me into a career of law, you know, law and doctor. These were the things that a lot of people (laughs) did um, or were encouraged to do and so they, yeah, encouraged me down a path of of law. I studied media and communications and law at Melbourne Uni and then it just kept, like, I kind of kept going down that, you know, you're on that hamster wheel of like, well, I'm in law, I should do a clerkship, I should should see where it gets to. Yeah, and then it just kept going until the point where I said, well, actually this is not me um, and worked out what I do want to do, but you can so easily just fall into these career paths without really choosing it. Did you want to get off, at, you know, while you're going? Because you ended up at a very prestigious law firm. Yeah. And you're saying, you know, you're on the hamster wheel. So are you thinking as you're going through this career, geez, why am I doing this? Oh, yeah, the whole time yeah. I was thinking, is this right for me? I don't think this is right for me. And I, and I remember having these thoughts of I don't want to be in this career path long enough that I find it too hard to get out. Yeah. So the point at which I decided to leave is the point at which I said, yeah, I, I don't I want to dive headfirst into, into something else um, because I don't it, – it, it never really felt right. Yeah. Anyway. But you went, you went <laughs> to a, a magazine though. I left my legal career. I started working part-time for Fitted for Work, which is a not-for-profit that supports women who experience disadvantage, Um, and then started kind of building on this idea that has evolved into One Roof, the business that I now run. Um, But, yeah, I'd I'd found something I was really passionate about, which was supporting women and um, removing the barriers that exist for women in business, and that 
became kind yep. of my North Star and I followed that. That was, yeah, the path that I wanted to follow. And you, you found that North Star from a young age. I mean, how, mm. how does this come about? What's in the DNA that makes you think about, I need to stand up and represent females? Was it something in your family, something that happened to you or just something that evolved from what you perceived around you? Yeah, it's a it's a good question. I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. I think I'd always, um, yeah, been inspired by other women. Um, I, I think maybe it was a flicker of a thought at a young age, but it really cemented when I'd... Um, started working, you know, started my career in the corporate world. And that was when I really came to realize the the challenge and challenges and barriers that exist for women. Um, you know, I, I'd actually shared an office um, with, with a, a, another grad who became a very good friend of mine. And she was, um, uh, you know, a, a feminist, and I remember when she asked me, "Are you a feminist?" And I was like, "I don't even really like what, what I don't know what that means." Yeah, yeah. Um, and I kind of feel like there's negative uh, connotations attached yeah, to that. Yeah. And so we would just have a lot of conversations around what does that mean. And she would give me these books like Sheryl Sandberg's "Lean In" and um, uh, Annabelle Crabb's "Wife Drought," and and I just it started just to become this this inquiry of like what's going on in this space. Why Why is there not equality between the genders? Yeah. Why is there this situation where women, um, uh, yeah, are held back and, and, you know, experiences that I had and that I was seeing and it just, yeah, it turned into a very deep, profound passion of wanting to, to drive very significant change. And you, well, you've now been able to achieve quite a bit of that significant uh, change along the way. Um do you feel a, now a sense of responsibility in having this uh, obligation to continue to take this passion and drive it into change? Um, yes, I do, but I guess I it, it's become something that I'm so passionate about. I don't. It, it's not even a thought for me anymore. It's just this is you know you find something you're passionate about, or you find your purpose, and those things evolve and change all the time. But it's something that I've found that I just it just drives me every single day and you know even in the challenges of building a business and working out your career path and what you want to do um it's a real motivation through challenging times when you have something that you're so deeply passionate about um and yeah it's I I can't even I don't even think about it anymore it just is I I've taken on that responsibility without even feeling like it's a responsibility Helps you get out of bed in the morning. Absolutely. Now I'm going to, I'm going to ask the loaded question because mm. um, you know people would say you've got to focus just on fifty percent of the the workforce. You mm. know, got fifty percent of that workforce that are men. Mm. What are you seeking from men in this equation? Mm. Well, I guess so. Firstly, um, so the business that I run, One Roof, we um, design and curate. Um, spaces, uh, co-working spaces and clubs for women, yep. for women in business. And um, our goal is to have multiple world-class hubs for women around Australia in the next few years. The, the first important thing about what we're doing is that we're not exclusively female spaces. So right. we're supporting women in business, but um, th- that means any business that is led by a female in some way, whether there's a female co-founder, CEO, or businesses that um, subscribe to our values around gender equality and championing women. So we've never been um, exclusive. We've never – it's not about segregating. Um, And so the environments that we create are inclusive and there's – you know, we have about 35% kind of male – membership in our in our in our spaces and in our community um and so we're yeah i think it's very important to drive a movement that's not about segregating but about acknowledging that we still don't have um equality of the genders and in order to achieve that it's a it's an important thing that we all need to be involved in and it doesn't work to to segregate um I guess it's also, um, you know, the reality is why am I driving this? Like the reality is that 
Um, we, as I said, there's still gender inequality. The World Economic Forum estimates that we won't reach gender, true gender equality worldwide for at least 200 years. From now. From now. Yeah, and horrible. is crazy. Yeah. And, you know, you put that into perspective, we could be commuting in driverless cars and potentially be living on Mars um, before we can achieve gender equality. And so why do I care about this? Because, yeah, we're going into 2020 and we still are seeing reasons and and kind of factors that are keeping women out of equal opportunity of of success um and so i think we still we still need to focus on how we can close those gender gaps but we need to do it in an inclusive way yeah well is this the education system yeah is it just part of dna i mean i just don't know the answers yeah but it's really evident from a young age absolutely i i think we don't know the answer, the, the nature first nurture kind of element of it, but we definitely know that from a young age there is so much conditioning around yeah. what it means to be a male or a man yeah. and what it means to be a woman. Um, and we see how that plays out in the business world and in, you know, the, the way that women do business and build careers and build their businesses. Um, and, and yeah, it, it happens from a very young age for the 50 percent who are blokes who have a very blokey network and that's how business has been for decades yeah how can we correct this and get Mm. more involved what steps can we actually take yeah i think the first thing is acknowledging when there are um when there is that um that gap it needs to be called out yeah. Um, and we don't – it's important not to be called out in, in, a, in an aggressive way and in a way that people get offended because yeah. that, you know, if men are feeling like they have to get defensive They're about this situation and it's all their fault, yeah. that's not true. I mean, yeah. we're all brought into this world and, and it is it, – it, it, it has traditionally been a patriarchal world, but in many ways that doesn't serve men or women yeah. or, or people who don't subscribe to either gender. Um, so so um, I think – yeah, it's important to call these things out and then in a, in a constructive way and it's important to take action and, and take responsibility to say, all right, I'm going to do something about this. And the more that we can recognise um, that diversity has immense value yes. in terms of how we build our businesses, yeah. in terms of economically, in terms of diversity of thought and, and you know. Oh, it's uh, essential. It, to everything yeah, that we do. Absolutely. Yeah, and so um, I think, yeah, we, we um, I, you know, when, when males say to me, well, what can I do? Yeah. To me it's always about, um, you know, men, uh, mentoring or sponsoring women or, you know, making sure that when you go to events that or you host events that there is a, a diversity of genders in the room, that when you, when you have a podcast, that when you – any initiative that you're doing that you're constantly thinking about how can we – um, achieve that diversity um, and and you don't just have to do it as a moral social obligation yeah. like there, there is economic real benefit in doing it so it's just recognizing that and, and taking s- small steps yeah um, yeah and bringing women into these professional networks which is um, I think one of the a key barrier that's been a real challenge for women yeah. um, that when we haven't traditionally been in professional networks where there's money and influence and power and conversation and and often those networks are taking place at times where you find that um, it might be difficult for women to attend or to get involved. There's so much to that and that's also presuming yes. that women are the primary carers of children or whatever. So there's a lot of factors involved but I think um, yeah, we need to we need to build strong professional networks around women, and yep. it can't just be women supporting women. That's not enough. Um, and we need to invest in women, and we need to to financially back women. Yep. 
being aware of it, the consciousness, um, you know, is, is like the first step, just having an awareness of who is in this room right yeah. now, who is at this event, is it a fully male event, are all the, the speakers on the panel male, is that a fair representation of what's going on in the world right now and just being really conscious of that, um, I think, yeah, is, is a big first step. Great. Mm. Let's move on to co-working spaces then. Mm. Um, so now you've got a brand and a presence. Mm. Now, you said Australia you wanted to have uh, clubs set up everywhere and co-working spaces. But do you have one? You've got Melbourne, Sydney, LA and New York. I started with that. So yeah. I started the business um, by testing this concept. It wasn't fully-fledged co-working spaces. My idea was um, creating physical hubs for women and the, the name One Roof was providing everything women need yep. under One Roof. Um, and really I was always thinking about the interaction between the physical space and the programming and curation that goes on inside the space. So yep. it was more about how do I activate a, a physical space in order to um, support women, build community, provide them with business support. Um, which then eventually became co-working. But I didn't quite realise at the start that that's what it was going to be. Um, I first tested the concept as a pop-up in an Airbnb home. So nice. I, I took over this woman's two-storey mansion in St Kilda and turned it into a co-working space for one week and had events and workshops and over f- nearly 500 people came into her house and she awesome. has absolutely no idea to this day. <laughs> but nothing was broken. It was all good. The house was still standing at the end and it was very successful. And so from that test, I continued to to test and and validate the concept. And so we had a space in Sydney for a year. Um, We had a space in LA that started in a retail space and then moved into a boutique shopping mall um, for a year and a half. And then we were also in a surf lodge in New York. So really unique, underutilized spaces, short-term leases, kind of six to 12 months of testing and building this global community. And then four years ago, I moved into South Bank um, where, yeah, moved into a central equity building. So in between them redeveloping the site, they had this dormant building sitting there. And that was when we turned into this fully-fledged kind of co-working operation. Yeah. And look, it's an interesting business model because you talk about underutilized uh, real estate assets. Mm. Um, and then at the same time, you've got almost like this perfect storm of we work, um, you know, absolutely crapping out in the market. So I don't know whether it's, you know, too um, far-fetched to say that this space has been viewed very differently over the last six months because yeah. of this underlying business model. Yeah. Um, so how do you stop yourself from just being labelled, well, it's just another co-working space? Yeah, so that's a great question. So I guess we have the benefit from the very beginning of having a, a unique niche in that we are specifically about supporting women in business. And so you do have co-working spaces that have niches, whether it's, you know, fintech or creatives yep. or so you you have seen a bit of that. Um, but, yeah, when we're definitely the only kind of leading significant space. There's a couple, there are a couple of smaller ones, but in Australia that has that focus on supporting women. Um, and, um, yeah. And so that's been quite, quite unique and quite niche. I think the other thing is that, um, when we, when I started One Roof, it wasn't actually about so much about the physical space. I always knew physical space was important, but the goal and the mission was never let's set up cool office spaces. It was we're on a mission to close the gender gaps and be the driving force that makes Australia the best place in the world to be a woman in business and we're going to provide the programming, the support, the dedicated team and concierge service to make sure that you thrive and flourish in your business and your career. So co-working is almost secondary to the other things that we do yes and and it's 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 a big difference in how it plays out in terms of what we offer and the environment yeah. and, and so on and people don't treat the actual space then as a commodity because there's a lot of extra value that's happening in this hub exactly yeah and i guess also um it means that we're not just selling 
physical. Yeah, we're not just selling physical desk space. Yeah, um, we're selling um, a membership model that's providing a lot of other services and significant value that goes well beyond just the desk space. Which, when you look at WeWork, really what they were doing is selling desk space yes. um, and calling it community. Um, yeah. You're a lot closer to community. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And with the one roof concept, there's a lot of other things that anyone in business will actually need. Exactly, yeah. Um, so I want to come back to then this underutilised space then because mm. I think of a building that's underutilised and, you know, I've got this picture of a derelict, you know, site. I'm sure it's not that, but yeah. it must have quite a high fit-out cost to doing something like that, which is, you know, what, temporary, a couple of years yeah. you get on these spaces? Yeah, so like the space that we, we've been in in South Bank, um, we've been, you know, that, that's that been a four-year, okay. we're there for four years. Um, we were quite lucky in that the base kind of fit out of the space was there with offices and meeting rooms. Um, it just didn't have our aesthetic at all. And so, um, you know, we came in and over time, yeah, really put our aesthetic to it and I think did a really good job and it, it became, you know, quite a landmark kind of space. Um, but, yeah, that that's one example. I think, like, other examples that we're looking into at the moment is um, retail spaces or lobbies within um, large buildings that have m- kind of multiple tenancies yes. so we can manage the business lounge of that building, yeah, right, okay. build up the community and that becomes kind of another one-roof space that is an additional offering as part of the membership. So it's not a derelict building. It's not a rundown thing. It's yeah. more just space that's not being utilised. That, yes. that and, and there's a reason for a landlord or um, a building manager to want their to be an activation of some kind and to want tenants to connect and interact. And I think this is like this interesting kind of, um, you know, shift we're slowly seeing where you're kind of looking at um, retail and and shopping centres becoming a one-stop shop of everything. So there's co-working and there's hotels and there's movies, cinemas, kind of, yeah, that. that. And then you're also seeing it in office buildings where there's a business lounge and there's cafes and they really want to, you know, build community. There's technology. So there's like a platform underpinning, you know, how they connect to their their tenants, whether whether that's being done well yet or not it's it's still an evolving space but we're the world's in a you know a drastic state of flux where you've got very expensive real estate big companies want to give staff more flexibility to work where they want when they want Mm. so you've then got more real estate coming onto the market Mm. and then you've got potentially even more real estate with the gig economy and the fracturing of workforces and then down the track another big technological change where people can choose to live wherever they want. Exactly. Maybe zoom in with AR or any of these other technologies or in their car Mm. or whatever. Yeah. Um, I mean, this space is in a state of flux. Yeah, and even, you know, people living further out from the city but creating hubs, regional hubs where you have co-working spaces and kind of commercial districts in these these, um, regional hubs. So, yeah. yeah, I think yeah, it's it it is really interesting. I love the the I love it because it's all about this kind of flexibility and change in the way you work and how you work and where you work and I think that that also adds to um many of the challenges that women have faced. Yeah. Um, over time, particularly as um, primary often being kind of the one who steps out of their career or their business to um, raise children uh, and that kind of keeps them out of, has traditionally kept them out of the workforce, but now we're creating ways where, well, you can work from home, you can work remotely. There's, you know, yeah, as you said, big, big business and corporates offering flexibility, flexibility being the number one thing employees want over salary. Um, And also actually big businesses just simply cutting office costs and not even having enough desks for their staff and moving to this agile working, which I know law firms and, you know, freak out and go, we can't do this. But, them. yeah, but I it's just it. it's 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 going that way. Well, that was the culture, you know. You wanted to aspire to be a to partner, be to have an op- a corner to, office, to, yeah. view over the harbour in Sydney <laughs> yeah, at least. Yeah. Uh, you talked about challenges, though. Um, so yourself, what challenges 
have you seen from a business perspective and also what things have really surprised you about, you know, being female coming up against uh, some mm. of these opportunities you wanted to create? Mm. I think one of the first big, big challenges that I stepped into was leaving my corporate legal brain and world yeah. to to become an entrepreneur and build a business and they're just vastly different ways of thinking. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I remember a mentor saying to me from the very beginning, done is better than perfect and just get it out there. We don't care if there are mistakes in your emails. I know that you've learned how to perfect an email and, you know, not to say anything in a meeting unless you are confident in what you're saying that everything has to be perfect. You just don't have time for that. And so he would like really push me, get out there and, and, um, you know, sell and go for it and, and make mistakes and fail fast and do it quickly. And I, I think, um, often there is a tendency for women to struggle with that yep. for a multitude of reasons. But, you you know, you can find that women, that there is an element of being risk averse, again, whether that's nature or nurture. I think I think there's a lot of conditioning around that. Um, you know, women have a tendency, often like for myself, there's a tendency around, well, it's got to be perfect before I get it out there. Yep. Um, well, I don't want to stuff it up. And if I do stuff it up, that's something – I've done wrong and it's all my fault and, you know, you blame women have a tendency, tendency to blame themselves. So um, I think it's it was it was challenging kind of um, moving into that truly entrepreneurial yep. mindset um, and just getting things out there and failing fast and, and, and you know, making mistakes. Yeah. Um, and really early on in the business, um, I used to have a business partner. She was based in the U.S., um, and we really struggled with, and that was why we had spaces in Melbourne, Sydney, LA, and New York. And we really struggled with like the focus and the business model. And we were just saying yes to everything and doing everything. And it just all became like distractions rather than yes. well, what, what's the goal and the strategy yeah. and let's work towards that. Um, was it your? Sorry for interrupting. Was yeah. it your idea though? So your business partner was aligned to your idea, or do you? It was. It was both of us. Okay. It was very much. Um, yeah, we we were both. We met because we were both running our own separate networking events for women. Okay. Um, and she had actually had some thoughts around like wanting to do something more, and so then we sat down, chatted, ran focus groups where we kind of asked women. You know, what's holding you back? Do you think we should build an app? Do you think we should just run more events? What What do you think yep. of, of a, a space? And, um, yeah, so collectively had come up with that idea okay. and the name and so on. Um, and then she decided to take the business in a different direction. I mean, building a business with one person in Australia and one person in the U.S. was incredibly challenging and just vastly different opportunities coming imagine. up every single day. Yeah. yeah, and so very amicably we we separated and I continued with the One Roof brand and building One Roof um, and she set up another business now called Quilt, which which is also working with women but in a different way. Um, and so, yeah, they, they were all challenging times um i think being focused and knowing when to say no and being very clear without um yeah can can be challenging in the earlier stages of building your business you just want to say yes to everything um it's true yeah and i I think i also really struggle with i'm quite impatient i just want i want one roof to be bigger and advanced and like down there in five years time but like it takes a lot of time to get there and i'm in i'm in a market that relies on property and property is slow and there's challenges to that and we're in a tight market with rising rental prices and so these are the realities of the situation that i'm in and in building the business these are the things that are slowing me down and so it's just yeah constantly having to listen to all of those things and um yeah and know that you you've got to build it slowly i had this incubator marketplace ventures a lot of young entrepreneurs would come through and you know a lot of the discussion i've had with people is about how entrepreneurs are pedestaled as almost rock stars these Mm. days everyone Mm. wants to be zuck or you know 
some high-flying, you know, entrepreneur, the steps required on a daily basis, you know, execution is everything, is ridiculously boring, it's draining, it's drudgery, it's just graft. And for a lot of people, that sort of crunch between where you want to be down the track in the daily grind, I think after a couple of years, it just gets a lot of people out of this entrepreneurial game. Yeah, absolutely. But I don't, I mean, I'm pleased to hear it. <sighs> yeah. But I'm not pleased to hear it. Yeah. It, it shows there's no shortcuts in no. this in this game. Yeah, and I think that also comes down to we we do glorify entrepreneurship and glorify success and, you know, you, that's what you see on social media and that's what you read in the news, but that's not the reality of it day to day. Um and it's actually important to talk about those things because as a as a founder and an entrepreneur it's an inc- and a leader it's an incredibly isolating journey mm. and you you're always wearing a mask and you're always kind of yeah. having to be on your game and you know yeah. um and it's it can be really exhausting um we we ran an event a week ago we we did um so it was a partnership with microsoft and we do these dinners so they're curated invite only intimate dinners this and with different themes this was 18 female founders who all run uh high growth impact businesses so have some kind of impact element or social enterprise element to what they're doing um, and it's an opportunity to share the challenges, like really get into the challenges that you're facing and kind of ask a, a group of people who are like-minded in similar positions and stages in their business for feedback. And so many of the challenges often come back to burnout, yep. I don't know what I'm doing, yep. my business is growing too fast and I'm like just – uh, you know, freaking out. I've been in hospital three times this year from, and they t- and they tell me it's just stress. Um, I yeah, I, I'm I'm like the, my confidence has been shattered, or you know, I'm feeling this immense self doubt. Um, and these are very common traits that that um, I think entrepreneurs deal with every single founders deal with every single day, and particularly women. Yeah, so, I mean, this is incredible to hear because what you're doing then providing a network for people who are uh, suffering from lapses in confidence or, you know, need help because they, you know, at the other end of the spectrum, things are moving too quick to provide any sort of support or people who can say, okay, well, we can help or here's someone that can help. I think it's a very valuable thing because it used to, well, it's still a very lonely journey. Yeah. But there's definitely when there's structures and there's people you can start a dialogue with, then that's going to lead to a much more helpful place and outcome than just being isolated and thinking you're going to solve it all by yourself. Absolutely. And I I talk a lot about how important mentors and advisors and building a professional network is. And, you know, Tony, you were saying that, you know, building a network is something that you do really well and you see the value in it. And I think I often talk to, to women in particular about how important it is to have different networks for different things. And so, you know, you have, all right, this is a network where I'm trying to build my business and sell or these are potential investors in the room and you've got to be having those conversations and have advisors who can support you with certain skill sets on certain things but you also need a network of people where you can literally sit back and say actually today has been a really tough day or this year has been a really tough year um, and this is what I'm going through and these are the challenges that I'm having and just feel like you can really truly be yourself for for a bit and talk about those challenges because, yeah, I, I think, you know, it, it's anxiety and, and um, burnout is so rife in our community and in our society yeah, right. these days yeah. and we, we keep – it's it's like we yeah we're still encouraging everyone to act like you're perfect and be perfect and you know you, when you when you sit down and have a conversation <laughs> yeah. with women about how they're really feeling and they talk about the mental load and the guilt that they experience particularly if they're mothers and and career driven it's just it's debilitating yeah. for people yeah um, so to have again have a network have people that can support you I think I think it's a grand thing and it must have already given you some moments when you reflect and go, I've really made an impact or a positive change in someone's life or mm. career. Mm. So t- tell us about some of those things Yeah, that gives so, you that energy. Oh, yeah. I mean, just as an example at this dinner, so um, we had 
one of the the people at the table was George, who's the founder of Sheba, which is the all female rideshare service, and they are so it's like Uber for women. They just raised another couple of million. They did, yes. Yep. So they've raised, I think, upwards of five million now. Um, they have a team of thirty two. They're in every state and territory. They're growing fifteen percent month on month. So like incredible growth. Um, and she got up at this dinner and said, I attribute so much of our success and to the early days of being at One Roof and, and, and being there for the first two years to build up the business until we outgrew the space and the yeah. support that we got and the mentorship and That's the awesome. introductions and, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, we had another example. So Christina, who's the co-founder of Verve Super, which is um, a super fund run by women for women and they do ethical investing. Right. They launched last year when we ran a big female founder pitch night, which is something we typically run every year. So they launched to an audience of 500 people. They won this pitch night. They got funding. They got um, sponsored desk space for their team at One Roof for a year yeah, that's great. and it's just became this launch pad that that's really you know built their business and they've gotten so much exposure and members signing on all the time they run a lot of workshops and events talking about um uh, the challenges of of super for women yep. um and the importance of women managing their super from you know the moment they they're in the workforce and um yeah and managing their wealth and and investing and so um a lot of education they they do as well as running this um super fund um yeah and we, we've done recently we we collated a lot of data and testimonials and insights from members and the kind of success and support that we've provided them. And it, it's everything from helping them raise capital to introducing them to a board member to getting them um, a speaking engagement yeah. um, to the small but really big things of of helping them build their confidence or yep. just feeling supported with a community and yep. a network. And we read through like the the testimonials that people wrote and some of the things like t- them telling us ways we've supported them that we had no idea yes. that, you know, it was a time in their life where they just really needed it and one roof completely changed their life. And so, yeah, that that just is is why I do what I do um, and why we are so much more than a co-working space um, and, we, yeah, why all the, the business support and curation and programming that we do I, is so important. Well, seeing you're at the front line, I mean, how is – female entrepreneurship tracking have you you know have you seen it ticking up is it is it are more people jumping into the space are you seeing more women in business we yes we're seeing more women starting businesses and getting into the business world um i think we're also uh having more of these conversations and seeing more of these initiatives coming out so you know you have one roof as an example of a co-working space supporting women and springboard as an example of an accelerator program for women-led startups and scale investors an example of an investor group an angel network that's investing in women-led startups and the League of Extraordinary Women or Business Chicks or Future Women. Yep, like there's yep. lots of these initiatives that um, are specifically dedicated to supporting women and, and, and women entrepreneurs. So I think that's great. There's a lot more conversation when International Women's Day rolls around, everybody's running events and talking about it and this is all really important. But I think there's still a big disconnect between the talk and the action. Yep. Um, and I think that, that um, it's it's often uh, now becomes these kind of subtle, like little and subtle ways that that women are still feeling challenged and feeling the barriers of entry. Um, that's harder to call out and harder to to change and recognize the fact that so often we see that investors um, start with this this kind of preconceived idea of for a male it's kind of what kind of entrepreneur will he be or what kind of leader will he be whereas for a woman it's can she be a leader and can she be Mm, an entrepreneur um and so how do like it's just becomes more subtle and harder to to solve those challenges so we still have a long way to go and i you know i remember a conversation with uh, i had with a woman who runs a high growth startup very successful and she said you know the fact that that like 
she's like, there's no doubt our access to funding is not the same because I am a woman and she does have a male co-founder, but she's like, I'm the one going out doing the capital raises. Yeah. And yeah. And so because I have, because we have this like lesser access to funding, we're under resourced, we can't hire, you know, the, the, the people that we want to hire on on the salaries that we need we're kind of we're kind of having to compete with male led companies just with lesser resources and funding and it just play all these issues kind of play out over time that you just naturally have to deal with because of the reality of not being able to raise as much capital but the reality is we're still not seeing you know what is it 2% of venture capital goes to women led startups is that all? it globally yeah. even though the research shows tells us that women-led startups actually have a higher return on investment. So, I would have thought that some of the personality traits that you've articulated that, you know, belong more to females may actually be beneficial when it comes to uh, taking money, being a bit more conservative, a little bit, you know, more thoughtful about how things progress. Even that uncertainty of seeking, having to seek out people is possibly more useful in the startup process in growing a business organically with a little bit of cash for sure than getting two million dollars and wasting it in a year for sure absolutely and i think yes that is that is the benefit of of a stereotypical mindset of a woman that if they are a bit more risk averse and they they um do have less access to capital to begin with and they just have to be more um prudent with how they spend their money and and they are more prudent and so they make sure that they build financially successful viable businesses and we definitely see that so what about then um education what kind of things uh you know do you see that need to be happening in things like MBAs or Mm. business schools to not only give uh, women more of that um, understanding of some of the things they need to take into an entrepreneurial mindset, but again, men need to take in so that they're not making up 99% of a room Mm. um, Mm. in VCs, corporate environments. Yeah, I think a big thing firstly is making sure that when you have like case studies and and speakers that there's that diversity um so you know in an mba it's not just listening to male business owners and operators and not just reading case studies of of male-led companies because it just sends these these uh, these signals to women that you're not meant to be here and you're not meant to be in this room and so um, yeah, it, it's we really need to have that diversity of, of speakers, case studies, role models, conversations um, so that, you know, of, of businesses that um, design products and services that might be more suited to, to men and then products and services that might be more suited to women. Like we need to have that, that um, variety. Um, I guess, yeah, it, it is just also um, the education around unconscious bias and the conditioning and I I don't I mean I don't think anyone really enjoys unconscious bias training or you know I I don't know how we do these things in a way that is fun and engaging and interactive I think training is a hard thing I think often it ends up being in the conversations that you're having with people like for me you know it's it's conversations I have with people day to day particularly with males that helps people realise the challenges. You must have an incredible amount of energy to keep up that (laughs) level of uh, interaction Mm. and positivity. Um, What about something, you know, ASIC, for example, recently come up in solutions and said, well, uh, let's impose a gender quota for for boards and for people sitting around the boardroom table. Yeah. Does that work? What are your thoughts on that? It's a hard conversation and we can go around in circles. I think... On the whole, yes, it does work because um, I think if we take a step back and say if the World Economic Forum is right and gender equality is a couple decades away, if not more, um, I personally would like to see us achieve that in my lifetime um i would you know i'm pregnant i would like to know that i don't know if this is a boy or a girl but that they're that they have equal opportunity um and and equal chances of success regardless of their gender um so in order to shift the dial quicker 
I think that co- there is there is benefit in quotas. Yeah. Um, and and it it comes with challenges, and I know that, and I know a lot of women will say, "Well, I don't want to be put in a position purely because they need to fill a quota, because then I feel like I'm, you know, it's not on merit." This whole merit argument, but um, I think. We just need more women in positions of leadership. We need that diversity around yeah. the, the the table at a at a C level and and in, and level of influence in order to see change. And like, yeah. I don't want to miss that. I, I want that to happen now. So I I yeah. do think there's value in quotas to pro, to progress things. One other thing I think is important that we don't see a lot of is companies setting targets. Um, and and measuring and reporting on whether they're achieving those from within targets, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. right. I think that there's a lot of kind of the the WGEA brings out um, like they do gender reporting, and they came out with all these reports that recently that you know lots of companies are implementing policies and you know they're thinking they're thinking about it and they're talking about it and they've got things going on but they're not measuring that it's we're not very clear on what's the goal and and then and then measuring that goal and 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 driving towards achieving it i think there's just more we can do around setting targets and then being transparent about whether we've hit those targets and if not why not well i was actually thinking that when you said earlier that there was um, better return on investment for investors from women founders um, and yet there's only 2%. Why aren't those statistics out there in a, in a up in lights? Yeah. But I suspect there's probably a, a lot of elements of these things that aren't pushed out hard enough into the, the public. A lot of it, I think, you know, having had this conversation with my son, it's got to get into a much lower level. Yeah. Um, Two final questions. Sure. Um, your own office, you've obviously got different flavours of people from different ages to uh, different experiences. Um, that's obviously a lot of fun. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I think um, one of the, you know, I've always said one of the, the the major benefits of One Roof being focused on supporting women but kind of agnostic in terms of industry and stage and, and so on is this really rich richness in, 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 in terms of diversity and it's almost like we create these ecosystems within the spaces where, yeah, you've got businesses across not-for-profit, social enterprise, you've got consultants, you've got high-growth tech companies and across fintech, yep. health tech, education, different different ages different demographic demographics backgrounds um and i think that all of that's really important to the success of the environment and the success of the people working within it um and as we build out more spaces what's going to be really important to me and really important to to the model of one roof is having a balance between the startups the corporates um government um, investors and yeah. so so creating environments that attracts different stakeholders and different sectors so that we can and because we run all these amazing events and programs and workshops but um yeah in order to really see the change um we need to see and you know i want an environment where we've yeah we've created a space where investors are investing in entrepreneurs and where corporates are, are putting you know giving money to entrepreneurs or creating an opportunity for um, businesses to test their products and yep. services and help build a kind of pipeline of, of customers and like that that's where I think a lot of the change is really gonna going to shift I think and I think there's a lot of money that's sitting there's a lot of money in Australia we just need to open it up and, yes. and get more flowing well, your answer did dovetail into you know what I was going to ask where do you think you'll be in five years time? Mm. And where do you want to be in five years' time? Yeah, so I want to have at least five, if not more, world-class co-working hubs dedicated to women around Australia in most major cities. 
Um, I want each of the spaces to be really well thought out, curated, designed, um, beautiful spaces that have a combination of offices, co-working, breakout areas, meeting rooms, event space, a drop-in business lounge with a cafe, a wellness space, a, you know, parent, like a breastfeeding room and on-site nannying services. Um, And that, yeah, that the types of um, uh, members that we have, as I said, is really diverse across corporate to startup, investors, um, government and so on. Self-contained ecosystem. Exactly. Um, And then that all the members are getting passport access across the spaces so you can can move around um, across the spaces around Australia. Um, I'd also love to set up or partner with an investment fund to invest in women-led startups so that we're really clearly um, contributing to that that gap and 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 making sure that we're supporting businesses to get investor ready and then funneling or or you know investing in them ourselves um yeah so there's, well, there's uh, a lot so let's finish with the quick fire round sure who's been a professional inspiration to you I would say Dr. Katrina Wallace, okay. who is the founder and CEO of Flamingo, which yep. is an ASX-listed artificial intelligence yep. company. Um, inspiration in terms of building a really successful business in an industry that is very male-dominated, yep. tech, AI, um, also single mother, five children, wow. um, like just an insane life and world and total powerhouse and just so real and and um honest about the her journey and very supportive of other women and diversity and younger generations and she just she just gets it and has been an amazing mentor and support to me amazing um what's the kindest thing anyone's ever said to you look lately i i've had a lot of people um, really giving me the confidence and um, backing me in just saying that you can do this and um, you're, you know, you've built an amazing network and community and support and, and brand and it's hard but just keep going and I've got your back um, and I think, yeah, when you know that people have your back and they believe in you. Gives you a bit it, of strength. Oh, it just counts for everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah. Um. I almost didn't want to ask this question because you're six months pregnant, but <laughs> if you got hit by a bus today and killed, it's pretty grim. Um, what is the one thing you would say, I wish I'd done that? Mm, I really want to go bungee jumping. <laughs> I haven't been able to do that. And I was in New Zealand, but I was pregnant, so I couldn't do that. If you could go any place in the world for lunch, where would you go? Yeah, probably Africa. Somewhere in Africa, I think um, uh, Senegal. Right, I would go to vastly um, different. To yeah, Western cities. Yeah. Well, that actually was my next question. What culture fascinates you? Actually, I would say Japan. I've been to Japan. Yep. Yeah, just. I mean, I, I've been to India, and that was a culture shock. But then I feel like Japan was a surprise it was and and that wasn't surprising that India would be a culture shock but Japan was just it was a surprise how vastly different the culture is favorite band um I don't know come back and I'll I'll answer that's it no okay I can't think it's Friday afternoon and I can't think of one Jerry Rubenstein thank you for sharing your uh, passion and enthusiasm I have no doubt about your continued expansion of One Roof and I suspect down the track a lot of women will be looking back and saying you're the inspiration, you're the the, the, the motivation that got them to where they are. So well done, keep it going and have a great weekend. Thank you, Tony. It was great. Great to chat.